We're going to continue our study this morning in the parables of Jesus, and we're going to cover two parables uh, this morning. We're going to cover the parable of the patched garment, and we're also going to cover the parable of the wineskins. And these are two parables. They're, 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 they're found back to back. They both mean the exact same thing. Uh, Jesus just uses two, two parables to, to make a specific point, so it made a lot of sense that we would... Uh, cover them together this morning. So if you got your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll be reading uh, verses 14 through 17. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. And as I said, we'll, we'll look at the parable of the patched garment and the parable of the wineskin. So let's read. This, uh, it says this, Then the disciples of John came to him, talking about Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? but your disciples don't fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then he, then he immediately gives these two parables. Nobody puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. Now, this, these are probably parables that we've all heard over the years. Uh, if, you're not, if you don't really look at it in context, it can be a little bit uh, confusing, but we'll try to explain that today. Now, as I've been studying the parables over the last few weeks, one thing... Has, has very quickly jumped out to me, to me, and that is that most of the parables, if not all, I, I can't make a blanket state, but, but most of the parables are told in order to contrast truth with the views of a religious system. We all understand that religion, a lot of times, is a system, right? That, that men have put together. And what we'll notice time and time again is, is a parable, Jesus tells a parable, to, to contrast the truth with a view of that religious system. Now, in that day, there was, the, there was a religious uh, 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 system called Judaism. And, of course, the, the main marketers and the main proprietors of that system were the, were the Pharisees. And that system prescribed certain things that you had to do to be a spiritual or a religious person. In fact... There were basically three main components to the religious system of the Pharisees, and that was praying, giving, and fasting. Those were kind of the three main pillars. If you were going to be a, a good Pharisee, if you were going to be a, a good Jew, those were the three things that you needed to do. You needed to make sure you pray, you need to make sure you give, and you may, need to make sure that you fast. Now, when it came to prayer... The Pharisees had this little routine they would do that at certain times during the day, we see this today with, with Islam, right? That, that they, they call the sound of prayer and wherever you are, you put your little blanket down and you pray, right? Well, the Pharisees were, in a lot of ways, were very similar. They had, um, they had certain times throughout the day that they would pray. And they loved to stand on street corners. They loved to be out in places where people could see them and they would pray so that everybody could see how righteous and how pious that they were. That was, a, that was a big deal with them. They did the same thing for giving and for fasting. When they gave alms to the poor, 
they wanted to make sure everybody could see what they were doing. When they, uh, when they fasted, they would decorate themselves. They would, they would dress down. They would get a gloomy look on their face so everybody could say, oh, he's fasting. Everybody, everybody with me? I mean, they, they wanted to make sure that whatever they did, everybody saw them doing it, especially when they prayed, when they fasted, and when they gave. Now listen, there is obviously, there's nothing wrong with praying, is there? There's nothing wrong with fasting. There, there's nothing obviously wrong with, with giving. The problem is that we're, they were doing all these things outwardly. They were just doing them as religious exercises. They were just doing them as religious rituals. It wasn't coming from inside. It wasn't an expression of their heart. They were just doing them so they could check them off their list. Now, Jesus warns us against this kind of behavior all throughout the Gospels. For example, he says this, When you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. That they, Can you imagine? They actually did this. Now, now, how bad is this? They'd go out in the street and they'd see a poor beggar and they would actually have somebody with them sound a trumpet, blow a horn, and everybody would look and the, and the Pharisee would walk over and, and give an alm to the... I mean, can you imagine? But that's, that's what they would do. That's how bad... This was. Jesus said this, when you pray, don't pray like hypocrites. If you go on and read that, he says, don't use a lot of words just so everybody can hear you. That's what the hypocrites do. They're just, they're just praying so that people can hear them. You know, if you got something to say to me, say it. If you got to talk to God, say what you got to say. Don't use a lot of words so somehow you're more spiritual. Um, he says this, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. Don't, don't, you know, don't put ashes on your face and, and dress in rags and, and walk around all gloomy. Don't, don't fast like that. See, what he's saying is, he's saying don't fast, he's not saying do not fast, he's saying don't fast like they do. Everybody see that? Don't fast so that, just so that you can be seen. He, he makes this summary statement that kind of covers all of it. He said this, and this is a warning for all of us, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. See, the key there is, is he's, not saying, he's not saying you can't pray in front of other people. He's not saying you can't fast in other people. And he's not saying you can't give. It's not that when we, when we pass the, 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 the offering baskets around, he's not saying don't give so people can see you. He says don't give in order to be seen. He said if that's your purpose, if your purpose is to be seen, then don't do it. Don't, don't give like that. Because that's just an outward thing. It's got nothing to do with the heart. You, uh, now the Pharisees, so the Pharisees are part of this religious system that has all these exercises, all these rituals that are designed for people to see them. They didn't perform them as acts of thankfulness, as, as acts of humility, as acts of worship. Uh, they were just a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, they were, they were very, as superficial as superficial can, can get. Now we saw this last week in our parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember this? Let me read it again. Talking about Jesus, it said, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up in the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now watch, he's going to do his three things. Remember we said there are three pillars of, of being a Pharisee, right? Praying, giving, and fasting. Now watch what he does. 
the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. Right? He's an extortioner. He's unjust. He's an adulterer. Or even like that tax collector guy standing over there. I'm not like them. What do I do? I fast twice a week, and I give 10% of everything that I got. So I'm not like that guy. See the three pillars there? What's he doing? He's praying, and he's reminding God that he fasts twice a week, and he's also reminding God that I tithe. See, I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm holy. See, there's his three pillars right there, reminding God I'm, I'm, I'm doing the three pillars. By the way, did you know that the Old Testament only requires one fast? A year. That's it. Once a year, you are required to fast on the Day of Atonement. That's it. No other fast is required in the Old Testament. But the Pharisees, who I always say has believed if one law is good, a hundred is better. Right? Y'all know anybody like that? Man, if one rule is good, let's just make a hundred of them. It's got to be better. So they came up with this tradition that said you fast twice a week, not once a year but 104 times a year. That was there, literally. Went from one to 104. If God likes one fast, then he's really going to like me because I fast 104 times a year. See, that was all tradition. It had nothing to do with what the Bible required them to do. It was just something to be seen. So if, if you think you're holy because you fast on the Day of Atonement, how holy am I? I'm 100 times more holy than you are because I do more, right? Now, not everyone who's in this system in that day, agreed with it. There was a lot of people that knew what the Old Testament required. Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Those are the three things. Do justly, love mercy and kindness, and walk in humility before your God. That's what He wants. That, and by the way, those all come out of the heart, don't they? Those aren't rituals, those aren't exercises, things you do to be seen. Those are all things that come out of a, a heart of, of humility. Now, there were, that, there were people in that day who I think are walking around thinking, you know, there's got to be more than this. They, they looked at that Pharisee and the, that was sounding the trumpet and said, that's ridiculous. There, there's got to be more to Judaism. There's got to be more to religion than these rituals and these exercises. So one day... Out of the blue, after 400 years of silence, a man called John the Baptist comes on the scene. And there starts rumors going around. There's this crazy guy out at the Jordan River. And, he's, and his hair is down to his, to his back. He's got this long beard. He's, he's, wearing, he's wearing furs. He's eating locusts and honey. It's all in his beard. He's, just, he's all mad. I mean, you can imagine what his hair looked like, right? Because the man had taken a, a Nazarite vow, which means he never cut his hair. So it's all matted up, and it's just a mess. And he's preaching repentance, and, the, and everybody goes out to him, right? And a lot of those that went out to him actually became his disciples. Matthew 3, 1 through 6 says this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and were baptized by him, confessing their sins. So all these people are flocking out to this crazy guy, who is, who is preaching repentance. But I want you to notice, John the Baptist has his time, but watch what happens when Jesus comes on the scene. In John chapter 1, 35-37, it says this, The next day John, talking about John the Baptist, 
was there with two of his disciples. So everybody with me? All these people go out to hear John, and a lot of them says, man, this guy's got the message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with him, and they become his disciples. They become his followers. But one day, John is there by the river, and Jesus walks up. And when John sees Jesus p- passing by, he points at him, and he says, behold, or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of, of, of the world. And watch, look what it says there in yellow. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. By the way, go read that. One of those was Peter. I don't know if you knew that or not. Peter had gone out to hear John. I'm sure Peter was one of those guys in those days who, who's think, looking at those Pharisees thinking, man, this is ridiculous. There's got to be more than this. And then he hears about this man named John out in the, in the Jordan River, and he goes out there, and he's probably baptized by John. And he becomes a disciple of John. He's a follower of John. And then one day he's walking with John, and John looks at Jesus and says, there's the Lamb of God. And the Bible says Peter leaves John and starts following Jesus. By the way, as he should, right? What did John say? I must decrease, he must increase. So John, it makes sense, would point his followers and says, there's the one you need to follow. There's the man right there. That's the Lamb of God. And Peter actually does that. He leaves John and starts following Jesus. Yet... Here we are at some later point in the future and there are still men following John. And they come to Jesus one day and they ask him a question in Matthew 9, 14. We read it a while ago. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Now, here's my question when I read this. Why are they still following John? Why aren't they following Jesus? John has pointed them to Jesus. John has said, that's the Lamb of God. Why are you still with John, guys? Why are you still a follower of John? You see, what that tells us is that although they, had, they, they knew something was wrong with the Pharisees and what they did, the fact was they were not quite ready to abandon the old religion. Everybody with me? See, they were moving closer to the truth because they were a disciple of John, but they weren't ready to abandon that old religious system with its rites and its rituals and its exercises. See, they might be interested in reforming the old system, but they're not interested in, they're not interested in leaving it. Okay? You, see, you see, they still see religion as a matter of ceremony, as a matter of ritual. And by the way, guys, if you think that was limited to... Judaism 2,000 years ago, you are sorely mistaken. There are people today who pray prayers. There are people today who own a Bible. There are people today who go to church services. They go through the rituals. They go through the routines. They go through the externals. And they think that's what it means to be a Christian. Oh, that's what it means. I go to church on Sunday. I even go occasionally on Wednesday night. I, I read my devotionals. I pray a prayer. And they think that's what it means. But they have no idea of what it means to be convicted of sin, to to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to to rely completely on faith and and not on rituals and and exercises. But you see, these disciples of John are still stuck in this ritualistic uh, system of religion. And they prove that, by the way, by the question that they ask Jesus. See, they come to Jesus and say, why don't you follow the rituals that we do? 
Why, why, don't you, why, don't, why, do you, why don't you do it the same way that we do it and the Pharisees do it? Why do you have to be so different? Why, why aren't you fasting? You should be fasting, but you're not. What, what's going on? You see, they're still stuck in that, the exercise of religion. They don't really know what it's all about. Now, let's look at Jesus' answer to them. And, he, and Jesus says to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days are going to come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and, and then they're going to fast. But he says right now, they, they can't mourn, they can't. Now, now, what is Jesus talking about? Well, keep in mind, in those days, a wedding was a big deal. In fact, it was such a big deal that it would last seven days, okay? It, it was, you know, life then was hard. They didn't have the conveniences that we do today. Um, it was very hard, and a wedding was a time to celebrate. It was a festivication. It was, you know, you, you got the best food. You remember Jesus goes to the wedding at Cana and they've got all the, the, the water vats full of wine. I mean, and they bring out the best wine. I mean, they, it was a time to celebrate. It was one of the few uh, times that they had. They, they experienced a lot of death. They're ruled by the Romans, right? They're under this hard religious system. Life is not fun. So when they had a wedding, it was a time... To, of joy. It was a time of happiness. It was not at all a time to be sad. And in his answer to John's disciples, what Jesus is doing, he's comparing his time on earth to a wedding. And he's basically saying, would a wedding guest mourn at a wedding? That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And see, that's, see that makes no sense at all for a wedding guest to mourn at a wedding. And so Jesus said, while I'm here, I'm like the, when the bridegroom is with them, why would they mourn? That makes no sense at all. Now listen to me. Here's Jesus' point, and it's a very important one. What he's saying to them is your ritual is out of sync with reality. In other words, you crank out your, routine, your routines without any regard as to what God is doing in your midst. God himself is standing right in front of you. Why are you fasting? Why would you mourn? Why would it be a period of longing and heartache when, when God himself is, is among you? See, he said that your, your reality and your ritual are completely out of sync. There's no connection. Could you imagine, imagine this conversation between Jesus and one of John's disciples? They say to him, we fast twice a week. Jesus would say, why? Are you sad twice a week? Is that why you're fasting? Because twice a week you, you're mourning, you're sad? They would say, well, no. And he'd say, well, why are you fasting? And what would they say? Because that's what we do. <laughs> you understand that what they're doing has no, no relation at all to reality. It's just a ritual. It's just an exercise that they do. And that's what Jesus is saying. Why would they be fasting? The bridegroom is standing here with them. Your reality and your ritual are completely out of sync with one another. You see, that once again, the, the religious system of the Pharisees was completely external. It functioned with no connection to reality. They fasted just to fast. They prayed just to pray. They gave just to give. They, they did those things to perform a checklist. I'm holy. I, I'm a religious person. I'm a moral person. I'm a good person. Why? Because I do those things. See, it was completely external. Now, let me tell you. 
the same thing can still be true for you and I today. We can do all the external things. We can go to church. We can have a Bible in our hand. We can give. We can sing. We can participate in worship. We can do all those things, and all those things can have no connection at all to the reality of our lives. I'm telling you, there's people all over this country today that will be in church. They'll walk out of church, and they'll go, go back to a life, and their religion and their reality have no connection. They don't take it with them into Monday morning. That's exactly what the, the Pharisees say. Their, their, their rituals had no connection to the reality of their, of their lives. You see, God wants you and I to have an internal, vital, real relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we do should be a result of what's happening in that relationship, right? It's, it's happening on the inside and it comes out on the outside. Should, listen, should we pray? Yes. Should we give? Yes. Should we fast? Yes. But we do it from a heart that's been moved upon by the Spirit of God, a heart that's thankful, a heart that's grateful, a heart that's humble. Not as some external religious ritual that's designed to gain the favor of God. See, if you're doing all these things, say, God, look at me, and you got it's completely wrong. You should be doing it out of a heart of thankfulness, of gratitude and humility. What's going on in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it should change who we are. It should change our behavior. It should change our, our actions. Now, in case you haven't figured out the meanings of today's parables from the context, I can tell you very quickly, the meanings of today's parables deal specifically with fasting. But more generally... It's about any religious ritual that has no connection to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Our parables today that we're going to read, the parable of the patched garment and the parable of the wineskins, deal specifically with fasting, and we'll cover that in just a minute. But in general, it deals with any religious ritual you have that has no connectionship or no connection with a relationship to Jesus Christ. If you're just going through the motions then these parables are, 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 are going to deal with, with that. See, Jesus, listen, is not interested at all in reforming our religion. He say, he's going to say to these guys, look, I'm not here to kind of polish up your rituals and make them better because what I'm doing is so completely different from what you're doing, they have no connection with one another. You've got to blow up what you're doing and replace it with what I'm doing. You can't mix and match what I'm doing with what you're doing. See, remember, the disciples of John, I think this is so important for this parable. It's not the Pharisees that ask him this question. It's the disciples of John. Why? Because they're in the middle. They're wanting to mix the rituals and the exercises and the religion of the Pharisees. They want to mix that with a message of repentance, right? See, they're stuck in the middle. And Jesus says to them, guys, you, you got to choose. It's one or the other. It can't be both. It, you can't mix them. What I'm doing has no connection to what those guys are doing. You need to make a decision. And, he tell, and, and it's exactly this point that Jesus tells the parable of the patched garment. Verse 16, let's read it. So then he says, Nobody puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Now what's he talking about? Well, in those days... Right, there's no such thing as polyester. We hadn't invented any of this kind of, that kind of stuff yet, right? Everything is either made out of cotton or it's made out of wool. 
Okay, and the vast majority of it's probably made out, made out of wool because of the, the sheep herding and all that that they did. But those are the two main things. And as everyone knows, when you wash cotton and you wash wool, what happens? They shrink. And they shrink a lot. So let's say you're a, you're a shepherd or something back then and, and you've got this old wool robe or something and you've had this thing for years and you've washed it and it's dried and washed it and dried and washed it and dried. And eventually it's, it gets this hole in it. Right, And so you decide, I'm going to patch it. So you go get a piece of brand new cloth, and you put it in that hole, and you stitch it all up, right? And you get it all stitched around, and and job is done. You think, man, that's a a nice-looking patch. And it is a nice-looking patch until you wash it. And what happens is when you wash it, the new garment shrinks, but the old garment doesn't, right? Because it's, it's, it's all shrunk out. It can't, it's got no more shrinking to do. And what happens is that new patch shrinks, and when it does, it rips all those threads you put in there. It rips the old garment. And you end up with a bigger hole than the one that you, that you started with. You can't do that. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't take a new, you don't take a new patch and put it into an old garment. Now, immediately, Jesus follows with a second parable to make the exact same point. He said this in verse 17, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins, because if it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now, what's he... What, I doubt anybody here own a wineskin? Yeah, so you, most of us don't even know what they are. Okay, so let's, let me tell you. Wineskins in that day were made from the skin of an animal. Everybody, seen, everybody watched Daniel Boone, right? You ever seen Daniel Boone? He's got his watering thing that he, right? And he, you know, everybody with me? The old Daniel Boone show? Well, that was kind of what a wineskin was. You, you took the, the skin of an animal and you sewed it into this thing called a wineskin. And over time, you filled it with liquid or whatever. You know, it might be water, it might be wine. And over time... As this thing is emptied and, and refilled and emptied and refilled, at first it's very pliable and, and stretchy, but over time it begins to dry out from the sun and it gets cracked. And, 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 and that's fine for old wine. You could put old wine in it because old wine doesn't, is not fermenting anymore. It's not going through the, the fermentation process. But you see, when you put new wine in something, new wine is still fermenting the gases are still being released. It's actually air is expanding around the new wine because of the fermentation process. So if you take an old wine skin made out of some old cracked leather of an animal and you put new wine in it, inside of that skin, that new wine is fermenting and the gases are bubbling and air is expanding. And what will happen is it will stretch that wine skin out and it will actually bust because it can't stretch anymore. It's old. It, it, it's, not, it's not ready. See? So that's what Jesus, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this, there is no way that this new message of the kingdom of God, this message of repentance and a message of humility and a message of faith, there is no way that message can fit into your old system. You've got a system that's built on rituals and exercises for people to see you, and there's no way that my message can fit into that system. That's exactly what he's, what he's saying. You see, a system of works-based righteousness, which is what the Pharisees had, everything with them is about works. I pray, I give, I fast. Look at me, God, I earned it. 
you see, they've got a system of works-based righteousness, and that kind of system cannot contain the truth of the gospel because there's no connection between them. See, you've got to make a choice, John, followers of John the Baptist. Are you going to choose a works-based system, or are you going to choose a faith-based system? You cannot combine the two. You can't stand over here and say, I like that faith message, and still go through works. Still depend on works. You cannot do that. See, in fact, he says if you try to combine a faith-based system, the new wine, the faith-based gospel, and you try to put it into an old system, everything will blow up. You'll destroy the message of faith. It's all spoiled. It's one or the other. You have to make a choice. You see, these two parables illustrate the fact that you cannot mix self-righteous rituals with new faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. Why? Because they had Jesus. They, I mean, they, didn't, they don't need rituals. They don't need to be seen. They don't need exercises. They've got, they got the man himself. God is sitting there with them. You see, Jesus and his message of justification by faith cannot be added to a works-based religion. It, it is either works-based or it's faith-based. It's one or the other. You cannot mix them. That's the, the point of these parables. Now, I've got about 15 minutes. I want to turn because this, this is, as I said, these parables are specifically about fasting. But in general, they're about any ritual that doesn't have a connection to a faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the question. What's being taught here specifically about fasting? Um, does Jesus teach us to fast in this passage? Or, or is fasting part of the old rituals, part of the old wineskin? And these new Christians, these new uh, free, celebrating people who have the Spirit of God in their heart, do we still need it? Do we need to fast? I mean, that's, those are all good questions. Uh, Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, said this, this is perhaps the most important statement in the New Testament on whether Christians should fast today. And I agree with him. It is probably the most important statement by Jesus himself on whether you and I should fast. So I want to take a few minutes this morning to, to, to really look at this and see what does it teach us about fasting. Remember what Jesus said to them when they asked him the question, why don't you fast? Why aren't your disciples fasting? And he said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now that statement right there teaches us an important lesson. And that is fasting in that day is largely associated with mourning, okay? Um, it, it's an expression of brokenheartedness. It, it's an expression of desperation over your sin. It might be over some danger you're in or your family or maybe your country. It was something that you did when things were not going your, your way. You didn't do it when things were going good. You did it when things were going wrong. But you see, that's not the situation with the disciples of Jesus, is it? The Messiah has come. And, and, and it's like the coming of a bridegroom to the wedding feast. You, you, how could you fast when the Messiah is there? I mean, think about that. Being with Jesus is so glorious, it's so exhilarating, that fasting would be ridiculous in that situation. Fasting is for times of yearning and aching and longing. But the bridegroom of Israel has come. Can you imagine after thousands of years of waiting... After 400 years of silence, I mean, it's been 400 years since they've even heard from a prophet. After 400 years of longing and hoping and waiting, 
The Messiah is here. So very, one thing you'll see there is the absence of fasting in that band of disciples was a witness to the very presence of God in their midst. The bridegroom is here. We can't. How can we fast? That would, that would be ridiculous to do that in that situation. But then Jesus said this, The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they'll what? They will fast. Now, some people have suggested that Jesus is only talking to the, the day between his death and his resurrection. Okay? But that is very unlikely for several reasons. Number one, the early church fasted. Okay? And this was after the resurrection. You find that in Acts 13, Acts 14, 2 Corinthians 6, and 2 Corinthians 11. The early church fasted. The other is that Jesus himself pictures the return of the bridegroom as the second coming, and he does that in Matthew 25. When Jesus comes back, there won't be any more fasting. By the way, would there be, think about this. Would there be any fasting in heaven? Why? There's, there's joy forevermore. There's pleasure. Why would you fast? So when he comes back, there's not going to be any more, more fasting. So it's obvious that Jesus says, I'm going to leave. And I'm going to come back one day. And he wasn't talking about his resurrection three days later. What he's saying is, while I'm physically here in your midst as the bridegroom, you can't fast. This is a time of celebration, of time of joy. But there's going to come a time when I go back to the Father. And while I'm gone, you will fast. Now, that is right now for you and I. Now, here's the question. Why would we fast while he's gone? Think about that for a second. There's no fasting in heaven because... There's no reason to fast, right? So why is there a reason to fast now? Well, because there's going to be something missing from our lives. Is it not? See, Jesus, we, he, he's, because of his absence, we should long for his return, should we not? We should long for his kingdom to be established. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's, that should be our, our ache, our longing, is for his kingdom to be established, for him to return. It's not, we don't have everything right now that we need or that we want. Now listen, yes, it's true that Jesus is present with us by His Spirit. We understand that. But even Paul realizes that's not the same. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul says, We prefer to be absent from the body and at home with who? With the Lord. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but it's not the same as having Jesus Himself. Being with Jesus Himself. And as long as He's absent... There will come times in our life where we still need something and we will fast. In other words, in this age, in this age there's still going to be an ache, a longing, a homesickness, a desire inside of every Christian that, man, I need Jesus. I, I say this before, there's times that I'll, be, I'll just realize a fleeting, I, I don't belong here. This is not my home. Any of y'all see that from time to time? You just, this is not my home, man. It, it's, I don't belong here. I'm not made for this. I'm, 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 there's something better. See, and, and Jesus said because of that, there will be times that we will fast. But on the other side of it, Jesus then turns around and gives us two parables. And they, those parables show us that fasting was part of the old wineskin, the old works-based system, the old ritual-based system of the Pharisees. And now Jesus says the old wineskin of that kind of system can't contain the new wine of the kingdom. So that brings up a question. Do we fast or not? Right? And if we do fast, how do we fast in a way that's not ritual-based, that's not religion-based, 
that's not external-based, but is a real fast? Well, let me answer the first question very quickly, and that is, yes, we do fast. Jesus said it himself. When I'm gone, they will, there will come times when you fast. But we don't fast like the Pharisees. We don't fast to be noticed by God. We don't fast to somehow put God in our debt. Let me say that again. You don't fast, God, look how, look how I'm, I'm just really giving it all up for you, God. You owe me. That's not why you fast. That's, what the, that's, what the, that's a Pharisee fast. That's an old wineskin fast. We don't fast like that. We don't fast to look holy, and we don't fast to be holy. Listen, if you're holy, you're holy because Jesus Christ has covered your sin with His blood, and that is the only reason. You're not holy for anything you do. God's not going to love you more because you fast. He's not going to love you less because you don't fast. It's not a ritual to be performed at specific times without regard to the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. It's none of those things. But yes, we still fast. But we fast when the reality of our life calls for it. See, there are going to be times in our life when the circumstances of our life require fasting. Times of mourning, times of heartache, times of longing. And we will fast at those times and we will pray at those times. You see, that's what I think fasting is at its heart. John Piper says this, and I love this quote, Fasting is a physical exclamation point at the end of our pleas to God. I like that. You see, fasting is an intensification of prayer. It's, it's a physical explanation, I should say exclamation. I kept, I kept looking at that this morning thinking, something about that's not right. It's a physical exclamation point at the end of the sentence, I want you, Lord. I want you. You see, we can say, I want you, Lord, but when you really want him so bad, when you ache for him so bad, a lot of times that will move over into a physical component of fasting. It you'll, I'm, it's so bad that you want to express it physically. It's a cry with your body. I really do mean this, Lord. See, this is what we call new wine fasting. You see, new wine, the doctrine of the kingdom of God, a doctrine of humility, a doctrine of, of faith, requires a new type of fasting, a, a fasting which is in line with the Spirit of God and His work in our lives. That's why... True fasting or the new wine fasting is always an extension of your heart. It's not a ritual. It's not something that says, hey, God, you owe me. It's just an extension of what's going on inside of you. When that ache, when that longing, when that desire for his kingdom is so strong, it'll actually move into... into um, somebody told me the other day they were, they were on a fast. And, um, uh, and, the whole, and, and as I asked, well, why are you fasting? Well, the whole reason, they just, there was just something going on inside of them at the time. They wanted God to do some things in their life. And it was such a desire, it was such an ache inside of them that it just almost naturally moved into fasting. Does that make sense? It wasn't something they were doing to put God in their debt. It was just an extension of what was going on inside their spirit. It wasn't a ritual. You see, at the heart of true fasting is longing. We're putting our stomach where our heart is to give added intensity to our ache for Jesus. We fast to express our longing or our ache for His kingdom. Listen, we want to see people healed. We want to see people saved. We want to see marriages redeemed. We want to see His kingdom established. And our hearts ache for that to happen. 
I can tell you there's probably people here and you've got situations in your family. I know I've had this in my past where you're, there's such an ache for something to happen that fasting just almost becomes a natural extension of that. Does that make sense? It, it, you, don't just, you don't just think, well, I'm going to fast twice a week. No, it's just something that just comes out of what's going on in, inside of you. That's new wine fasting. It's not a ritual. It's connected to the reality of our, of our lives. And when we feel this longing on the inside, again, fasting is a natural extension of that. So we fast, not as a ritual, not as an exercise, but as an extension of the cry of our heart.